This morning, we have the privilege of welcoming up uh, for, uh, with us uh, a guest speaker, Dr. Mark Dalby. Um, it really is a privilege to have him. Dr. Dalby is the president of Covenant Theological Seminary. It's where I went to seminary. Mark Davis also uh, went to seminary at Covenant. And, um, and Mark's been the president for a few years now. When I was there, he was dean of students. Um, but uh, Mark has always been deeply involved, not just in the administrative side of, of life at the seminary, but deeply involved in the lives of students and in the classroom as well. Um, Mark was one of my professors. He taught and still teaches uh, the MDiv, the Masters of Divinity class on worship. And so um, one of the main classes that we all have to have is how do we think about worship in the church? And Mark has taught that for a long time. Um, you know, another criteria for being a, a, a professor at Covenant is you, you have to have pastoral experience. So all of our pastors, excuse me, all of our professors are also pastors. And that goes for Mark as well. Mark has pastored multiple churches over the years, 40 years in pastoral ministry and teaching ministry. Um, Mark has uh, three children with his, um, with his wife, Beth, right? Yeah, here you talk about Beth. And nine grandchildren. And so um, we're thrilled. Mark has a very busy schedule. He's flying out again today to go to Naples, Florida. And we're thrilled that he could join us this morning to talk about uh, doubt and Jesus' Jesus's encounter with Thomas. And so um, would you welcome up Mark Dalby to, to open God's word and speak to us this morning. Thank you, Chad. It's really good to be here. Um, the grandchildren number keeps growing. Uh, we now have 10 with number 11 on the way. And uh, that's exciting. Uh, if you Add the 40 years in there and 11 grandchildren. I'll be 66 next Wednesday, just in case everybody wondered how old I am. And if you wondered about this little fat lip I have down here, one of my grandchildren, uh, Preston, who's nine and a half, we were playing one-on-one basketball. He is nine and a half, but he's exactly five feet tall and exactly 100 pounds. So he's a pretty strong kid, and I got an elbow to the lip uh, when he was getting a rebound. So um, anyway, it was... You might say, what's the 66-year-old trying to do out there playing with a nine-and-a-half-year-old in basketball? Well, part of the reason I run and try to stay in shape is so I can play with my grandchildren, uh, even if they beat me up. And eventually, he actually, we were on a regular height basket with a smaller basketball. And I was working pretty hard to, to almost beat him but not beat him. And... Uh, I, I had to work harder and harder and harder. So it's sort of fun to, to have that happen. I also want to know how many people here have heard Dan Doriani speak either in church on Sunday or at this or at a men's retreat. I just want to get a feel for Doriani folks here. In the, okay, I've known Dan for over 40 years, and I could take the rest of my time to tell you stories about Dan that he would mostly appreciate, but I'm going to resist doing that. Uh, we're looking today at John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. It's the passage where we come up with the title for the Apostle Thomas, Doubting Thomas. And I want to have you listen for a moment to three quotes in John's Gospel related to the Apostle Thomas. And I'm going to put them one after another, and they happen in the span of probably about two weeks. The first one was 
after Lazarus, when they went up to, to deal with Lazarus's death, and they were going to be going close to, uh, they were across the Jordan, they were uh, going to go to Bethany, which was only two, about two miles from Jerusalem. And there were threats of people stoning Jesus that they had just encountered. And the disciples are saying, we're going to get that close to Jerusalem where they're set to stone you? So here's the first phrase from Thomas. Let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, that's not the first thing you think about Thomas. You think about the second one. Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then the final one, my Lord and my God. Okay, let's go up and die with him. I won't believe unless I can feel and touch my Lord and my God. So I want us to think about that range of expressions of faith or lack of faith that are there uh, in Thomas as we go this morning together for this time. Let me read the passage, 24 to 29 in John chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Lord, open our eyes to see and to hear, our ears to hear and our hearts to embrace Jesus this morning as he meets us in his word, we ask in his name. Amen. I want you to think about yourself personally for a moment. What are the obstacles in your life this morning to a deep abiding, constant faith in Jesus. What might some of those obstacles be? Could be fear, could be skepticism. Maybe you've been abandoned in your life and you're afraid to get too close to Jesus that he might abandon you. Maybe it's your own sense of self-sufficiency that you might lose control, what control you at least have the illusion that you have, if you really give yourself over fully to Jesus and let him have charge and control of your life. 
Maybe you're thinking of yourself as undeserving of a close, intimate, constant relationship with Jesus. For me, it seems like throughout my life, the Lord keeps putting me in places where I have greater self-doubt that I can be successful in the things that he's called me to. The presidency of Covenant Seminary is one of them. I never aspired to such a position. And I find myself over and over again thinking this steep learning curve will eventually not be so steep. And now almost six years into it, I'm convinced it's just going to be steep till I'm done. Um, But I have these self-doubts that the Lord keeps saying, okay, look to me, trust me, put your faith fully in me. What is it in your life today? Not somewhere in the past, but today that you may be facing. That's an obstacle to this deep abiding constant faith in Jesus. And my prayer would be that he would address that in your life today. Either through what I'm saying, around the tables as you talk, sometime as you leave this place. But additionally, you and I both deal with people a lot who have doubts who have little faith, often loved ones. What do you do when, if you're married, your spouse is really struggling? Or an ailing, soon-to-die parent? Or a wandering son or daughter? Or a friend that's had one after another after another of crushing life experiences that are saying, where is God? How do you come alongside of them? Are you one who comes alongside and says, well, you know, God's working all things together for good. I mean, Romans 8.28 is not exactly the thing to quote in some circumstances, as true as it is. How do you help people in your life that you long to have a deep, intimate, abiding, constant relationship um, with Jesus that would drive away doubts and fears in their lives? We're called, I believe, to pour our hearts out to God. Uh, Chad mentioned that I teach uh, Christian worship at the seminary. We've combined that class with an Old Testament exegesis class called Psalms and Wisdom. So it's Psalms, Wisdom, and Worship. And one of the things that I believe about worship that is often lacking in the circles I'm involved in is the place of lament, The pouring out of our hearts before God. It's not complaining, but it's laying everything out before God and saying, help me, meet me, what's going on here? Where are you? I need you, I want you. Come, Lord Jesus, into this situation that I don't know what to do with. And crying out to him from that place. As I was rereading and studying chapter 20 of John's Gospel, and part of the problem Uh, with being familiar with these passages is that we go through them pretty quickly without entering into the lives of the people that were first experiencing the resurrection of Jesus. And chapter 19 ends with Jesus dying and being placed in a tomb. And I'm just going to quickly tell you what happens leading up to um, this encounter with Thomas. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb Uh, when it was dark, early in the morning, where they had placed Jesus' body. And she saw that the stone had been taken away, 
and she ran to tell Peter and John. I'm an early morning runner, so I sort of get into this running thing, okay? Uh, they, they, she says to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't, I don't know where they put his body. Okay, so there's this alarm that this one remaining thing, which was the body of Jesus in the grave, that she could go and sort of meditate or whatever she was going to do was gone. She didn't know what to do. She told Peter and John. Peter and John run to the tomb. And uh, John says about himself that he won the race. He beat Peter there. He got there first. But he didn't go in. Peter gets there and goes right in. Something about their personalities probably reflected in that. And Peter saw the folded linen clothes that had been wrapped around Jesus' body. And then John went in and saw these folded grave clothes. And it says, and he believed. An interesting comment in light of what we read about Thomas. He hadn't seen Jesus. He just saw the the grave clothes folded and he believed. And then it says they went home. Mary is back in the forefront of the account and she's weeping outside of the tomb. She too had returned uh, to the tomb. She saw two angels sitting where Jesus had been who asked her why she was weeping. And she said, they've taken the Lord and we don't know where they put him. She turned around and saw Jesus, didn't recognize him at first. And he asked her why she was weeping. She thought he was the gardener and asked him where they had placed Jesus. And when he said her name, Mary, she knew it was Jesus. And she said, teacher. And he told her to go to his brothers. Interesting phrase for the apostles. Go to my brothers. And she went and said, I've seen the Lord. Well, later that evening, this is Easter Sunday morning. And then that evening... The ten disciples without Thomas were gathered in a room. And remember, the backdrop of all of this, they'd seen the miracles of Jesus. They'd seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. They'd heard him say, I must go up to Jerusalem and be crucified and on the third day rise again. But they're huddled in this room with the doors locked, fearful of the Jews, John tells us. And Jesus came and was among them. And said, peace be with you. He showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad that they'd seen the Lord. And then Jesus breathes on them, a sort of pre-Pentecost, breathing to receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And in the power of what would later come in fullness at Pentecost, of the Holy Spirit. That's all the backdrop. And, and just imagine these, these followers of Jesus um, who are not knowing what to do. And Jesus is there bringing his peace, bringing his presence, assuring them that it was truly him. So now we come to Thomas, verses 24 and following. Thomas had not been with them. Uh, 
a week earlier. It says eight days later, the Jews sort of do inclusive days, so it was the next Sunday, okay? The Sunday after uh, the resurrection day. And we're told here that the other apostles had told Thomas, and the telling of Thomas here could be understood, what the, the verb there could mean is, they told him repeatedly, like all week long, they kept telling him they'd seen Jesus. And here, what happens is he says, unless, this is where we get the doubting Thomas, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails, place my hand to his side, I will never believe. Now, why was that? Well, one of the challenges of studying God's word is we can ask questions of the scripture that the scripture doesn't give answers to our satisfaction. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with the scripture. It means we may not be asking necessarily the right questions. But as we think a little bit about it, um, you know, this is the one who said, let's go die with him. And then he died. And now Jesus is reportedly alive And Thomas doesn't believe it. Is he just a skeptic? Or was it perhaps this would be too good to be true? Can I let myself have that much hope only to have that hope dashed if it's not true? I don't know. That's speculation. We're not exactly sure. But we know he resolved he would never believe until... So, Jesus shows up again. And it's an interesting parallel to the, almost exactly like when Thomas wasn't there, it happens again. They're in the room. The door is locked. Jesus is among them. He says, peace be with you. And then to Thomas specifically, here, put your fingers here. See my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. It's really me. I'm really here. And then he says this. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He had seen God in the flesh. And now after his death, he sees the resurrected Jesus as God in the flesh. His doubts vanished. This confession of Jesus as my Lord and my God is the most full and complete and strongest statement we have in John's gospel of faith in who Jesus is as his Lord And his God and what goes from unbelief turns into adoring worship. Now, this is a pretty dramatic movement in Thomas's life. But I would suggest to you that this is part of our growing, sanctifying faith. It's living more and more to Christ and dying more and more to sin is the confession summary of that word sanctification of becoming more and more like Jesus. But isn't, while this was a dramatic movement in one 
time from I will not believe and Jesus said, believe and he does and says, my Lord and my God. Isn't that the movement in our lives? Daily? Isn't there something if we're really honest with our own hearts and open before God? Where there's something that comes into our life, maybe already today, even though it's pretty early in the morning. Where we've had doubt or disbelief or wondered where the Lord is. And he moves us along, not in a condemning way, but in an inviting way with his presence saying, here I am, trust me, don't have unbelief, have belief. You can go forward. I'm with you. I'm for you. Isn't that part of the journey of faith? We, we go into this sort of pre-Easter moving forward and closer to it. You've got this special time next week that Chad was talking about. It, it's, a, it's an entering ever more deeply into our own doubts and fears and unbelief that we might come out on Resurrection Sunday with greater, deeper, more abiding, more constant, intense faith in Jesus. So we get a little picture here in a very brief time frame of Thomas encountering Jesus. But I think it's an, it's a, a, an indicator of the Christian life for each one of us if we're willing to be open and honest and cry out to Jesus to meet us in an ever deeper and increasing way. One of the interesting things as I was studying this passage last week is um, some of the commentators on this passage said, Thomas saying, my Lord and my God, actually is picking up themes from John chapter 1. It sort of is a inclusive from the beginning of John's gospel to the end. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son. And now we see it at the other end of what we got in the prologue. Thomas beholding his glory and professing that this is my Lord and my God, the one who has come, sent by the Father. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we see some of the worship um, of of the saints in heaven. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor, and so on. This is part of the the worship of the people of God. You are our Lord and our God. You are worthy. We praise you. We cry out to you. Meet us where we are. And then Jesus says, blessed are you. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Isn't it interesting in this passage where we're entering into the lives of the followers of Jesus Uh, on the day of the resurrection and a week later. And John is including us in the narrative, in the words of Jesus. Yes, Thomas, you're blessed. You've seen me, you now believe. You've declared me my Lord, my God. But, But blessed are those who are gathering at Park Cities on whatever date this is, March 20th, who haven't seen like you just did, yet believe. 
As I look at this passage, it seems to me that there are a couple of things I'd love for you to to take away and even take a little bit of time to to discuss through some of the questions around the tables. In some ways, that's always the hardest thing. I I had this assignment to prepare this passage and then to come up with questions for you to discuss around the tables. And I don't know you from Adam. um, And... uh, I don't know what kinds of discussions you normally have, and I don't know if you want deep theological questions or more really personal, practical ones. So I sort of went with the, okay, so what does this mean for me, for us? It's one of the things we, I would say that increasingly at Covenant Seminary, the two words and a question mark that loom over everything we do is, so what? So what does a deep study of scripture and theology mean for my life, for my family, for my ministry, for God's call on my life? So to be deep in the word and deep in theology and constantly saying, so what does this mean? So here are a couple of my so what's. Um, What we see here is that Jesus meets people where they are and pursues them with a sensitivity to what's going on in their lives. Jesus pursues people where they are. He meets us where we are. He met met Peter and John and the other ten where they were. He met Mary where she was. He met Thomas where he was. And the ten and Mary and Thomas were in very different places, even in response to the word that Jesus' body was gone, Jesus, the word that Jesus was truly alive. Jesus meets us where we are. And he meets other people in our lives where they are. And we can enter into their lives with a willingness to enter into what Jesus is doing in people's lives. For some, they're filled with fear. With some, it's hopeful disbelief. For some, it's weeping lament. For some, it's his presence with peace. As we seek to understand who we are, let's accept that Jesus is meeting you where you are today. Not where you were yesterday, but where you are today. Not what you faced yesterday, but what you're facing today. Not your doubts and concerns and worries and anxiety today, uh, yesterday, but today. There's a, a fresh meeting of you where you are that Jesus, committed by the death on his cross and on the cross and his resurrection, to conforming you to his likeness fully one day. That's Christ's commitment to you. One day you will be like him. Fully human, of course. You don't become God, but you become conformed to the likeness of the God-man Jesus without sin, without doubts, without fears, without disbelief. That's the journey he is taking you on and is committed to completing that journey with you. So we we can be free uh, to cry out to God with where we are today, knowing that he, he already knows, he cares, and he wants us to pour that out to him, that he might meet us where we are and take us to where he wants us to go today. And as we relate to other people around us that we love, that we care about, We can believe the same is true for them, that Jesus cares about where they are today and wants to use us as an instrument of his care in their lives. 
Francis Schaeffer, whom I assume many of you have heard of, was a great Christian apologist, and we have a Francis Schaeffer Institute at Covenant Seminary uh, named after him. Um, he used to say that if he, if he knew that a person he was with was going to die in 60 minutes, he would take the first 50 minutes to ask questions, to listen, to understand what's going on in the life of that individual, and then take the last 10 minutes to present to that person everything that is true about Jesus and specifically designed after listening for 50 minutes for that person. Now, he didn't go to an evangelistic presentation as soon as he heard the guy was going to die and thought he needed to know the Lord. Now, let me say, but it's important that Francis Schaeffer knew an evangelistic presentation to draw on as he fine-tuned it for the individual. So Jesus cares about where you are, and he cares about where the people you love are as you relate to them. And I would just encourage us to believe that and to be an instrument of that in the lives of others. Secondly, I've, I've titled this, you can, you can see probably from the questions there as well, what, what do we, what's our takeaway from, quote, Doubting Thomas? I think it's this. It's this prayer. Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. We have, we have a really big theology in Presbyterian and Reformed circles. But we often have a very little faith. My prayer, my hope for the seminary students to come our way, for you in this room, is that God would increase our faith, that our faith would match our theology. We believe God is sovereign, he's all-powerful, his grace is sufficient to forgive and heal the deepest wounds and, and, and sin in our lives. We believe that in terms of a system of doctrinal belief. But do our lives match that? Does our daily walk of faith match what we say we believe about how big and great our God is? This Lord increase our faith is actually a prayer um, on the pages of Scripture. Uh, Jesus was talking about forgiving multiple times, seven times, 70 times seven, and the disciples say, really? Lord increase our faith. He was asking, they were asking him to increase their faith toward being forgiving to other people. That's how hard this Christian life is. Lord, increase our faith to believe we can. Um, in Mark 9, verse 24, there's a father who has a, a, a child that has an unclean spirit that couldn't be cast out by the disciples. And Jesus comes and, and says, believe. Do you believe? Do you have faith? And the man says, I think this is another prayer God delights to hear. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Those are two prayers that Jesus loves to hear us pray. Increase my faith, Lord. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I would encourage us to pray those prayers regularly. 
Some of you may be familiar with the book, as I, I draw this to a close, called Your God is Too Small. It was written in, in the year I was born, so it's almost 66 years old, like me. Uh, written by J.B. Phillips. And the, the title of the book is Your God is Too Small. And I would change that a little bit to Your View of God is Too Small. Um, God made all things. Christ is Lord over all things. Um, Our view of him, I think, is often too small. I think our view of God's gospel is too small. Our view of who the people of God are is too small. Our view of the kingdom of God is too small. Our view of the mission of God is too small. Lord, increase our understanding of how big you are, how great you are, how big your gospel is, your people, your kingdom, your mission. And draw us into who you are in this greater and greater and ever increasing way. It's interesting at the end of chapter uh, 20 of John, we have this summary, the the little heading in my ESV Bible here. Actually, it's Ken's ESV Bible. Um, Says, the purpose of this book. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. This is chapter 20, verse 30. Then verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's both believing what is true about Jesus. And as you hold on to that belief in what is true and to the person of Jesus, you may have life in his name. Life of ever-increasing faith and trust and confidence in God. The Apostle Thomas, from what we know, in church history, uh, had a bold and ever-increasing faith that took him all the way to the nation of what we now know as India. The apostle to the east is believed to be Thomas. So this man who said, I'll go and die with you. Now that you've died, I'm not going to believe until Jesus meets him where he is and he says, my Lord and my God. And he goes with what had to be ever-increasing faith to go and face whatever he had to face in unknown places. But believing in Jesus, he had life in his name, and believing in Jesus, he brought that life to other people. My prayer for you is that you would believe this morning in ways that would hold on to Jesus in ever-increasing faith and that it would be, he would be transformative in your lives deep and personally, and all those that God puts in your sphere of influence and opportunity to be an ambassador for him. Meeting people where they are, giving them room to express their doubts and fears and unbelief, and pointing them to Jesus, that they might believe in him and have life in his name. Father, I pray for these men. I thank you for them. I pray that you would be with each one in whatever 
they face in their lives today, I pray that you would affirm their belief and help their unbelief. I pray that you would deepen and increase their faith, that they might have an abiding confidence in you and your presence, that you are with them, that you are for them, and that as they turn outwardly from themselves to others, that you would give them the same kind of loving concern to meet people where they are and be confident in the desire that Jesus has to move them toward himself. Father, help us all. Help us to grow. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to be those men that you would choose to use to make an impact for the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus, even today, for we ask it in his name. Amen.